0: It's been, 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 it Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next installment of Paul Pod. Definitely the last installment for the year because the year's almost over and they're not going to have any more studio time for me. So it doesn't matter even if I wanted to. But for our final guest, last but not least, continuing along with the theme of Curtain Call 2, moving into the 8 Mile 20th anniversary, we have a very special guest today, acclaimed screenwriter, and incredible human being, Scott Silver, is with us, live from Los Angeles. Hello, Scott.
1: Good to be here. Thanks, Paul, for having me.
0: Of course. And Scott is, as many of you may know, and for those who don't know, I'm going to let you know, is the gentleman responsible for writing the film 8 Mile. Yes. Here he is, in the flesh. And Scott, it's been a hard time pinning Scott down. He's a very busy man. Currently in production with a high profile film, one of his other masterpieces, dare I say. He's working on the sequel for The Joker. Correct? Joker
1: two we're filming now, so
0: And you wrote the first Joker film as well.
1: I did with Todd Phillips. We wrote it together. So I co wrote it. Gotcha.
0: so we're gonna go back, you, right?
1: You, you know Todd, right?
0: I do. I do know Todd. We've 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 talked with Todd, and he's friends with one of the co producers on the film, as you know, Stuart. And he's uh, he's a great, talented man. So let's re- let's reverse back a little I, bit. Go um, ahead. To, I just to- want to
1: preface this, start and stop. But this yeah. is my first podcast. I literally think I was. It's like the beginning of the movie. My palms for our movie. My yeah. palms are literally sweating. Okay. I might have gone and thrown up. So well,
0: listen. Do- I, I'm gonna be very gentle. And it's gonna Thank just you. take a minute. And if there's any discomfort, you may feel a little pinch, but it'll go away quickly. Okay? <laughs> I'm not a doctor, well, but I play one on the podcast. So I'm
1: hoping much I'm hoping much like the movie, I don't embarrass myself right from the the very first scene and have to sort of, you know, try to get over
0: it. So exactly, exactly. So you were connecting all the dots here today on Paul Pot. All right. So that's what the movie. Go ahead. So Listen, this, this is back in, I'm going to say, and these are little guess, a bit of guesses because we're talking over 20 years ago when this yes. idea started. So I'm going to guess around 1999, early 2000, you probably got a call about us having this idea to make a film, right? I did, Okay. Yes. So at the time, there was no title for it. There was no real framework for it other than an idea, Right, and we we had gotten in business with Brian Grazer and his company Imagine, who had a deal with Universal Films, and we were connected to them through Jimmy Iovine, who is you know the head of Interscope at the time, and also ended up being a producer on the film along with Brian. So, who contacted you first?
1: My agent called me. Remind me, I don't think at the time when you guys were talking about doing the movie that M's first album had even come out yet. I think sort of, I don't. No, think it, it, had. it had. It
0: had. It was between. It was between. I think. The Eminem show and Marshall Mathers LP It was
1: OK. Yeah. I thought it was before it actually came out, but the I had gotten a call from my agent and I'm part of the least likely person you'd imagine to write a hip hop movie. I'm old. I'm older now, obviously, but white, not sort of hip hop's not my thing. And my agent called me and said, I want you to, you know, there's this Imagine called about doing this movie right. about Eminem. And my apologies. I had no idea who Eminem was.
0: OK, so that's a good I, start. I was, I was
1: like. I literally thought the candy. That's how embarrassing it was. Oh, and I was like, fuck. Them. And I know. Fuck. And for me at the time, my career was like in the toilet. It was kind of over. I had done this. I had written and directed this movie. That was a horrible experience. And right. The movie was terrible and I didn't do a great job. And basically my career
0: was over. So it was, and it was, can I say what it was? Cause I know.
1: We called the mod squad. Yeah. Right. It was so you whorly, did mod squad came humbling. out in 99. It was right. a horribly humiliating experience.
0: Was well, not really right. that good of a movie.
1: No, it's a terrible movie. But funny enough, about all of this stuff, it's it did lead to sort of what's in eight mile, and a lot of what eight mile is about is as much about for me as a writer about what I was going through as it is about M. And my agent called me and said, There's, you know, imagine looking for a writer for this movie. Would you want to do it? And I was like, No. I don't. I'm not a big hip hop fan,
0: and and who's Eminem? I've never heard. Of,
1: and who's Eminem? Right. And Jessica Duchinski was my agent. She was like, "Listen, you basically are out of the movie business. You can't get hired
0: because you suck.
1: Because you suck. Because right. you're fucking terrible. And if you get this job." And Imagine sort of, like, validates your back. Like, because imagine such a great company, if you if they hire you, just that alone will get you back. Right, the
0: because they had tons of credibility, not just commercially, company. but but also critically, right? Yeah. Ryan, had, Brian had, Grazer, Ron Howard's company, like, they were, you know, just killing it back then. Still are, but they were really, really on fire. had made tons of great movies, you know, Academy Awards, the whole bit.
1: Yeah, Beautiful Mind. And they, they were one of the... And still are one of the preeminent sort of production companies and and Brian's obviously a uh you know a Legend. legendary producer yeah, yeah and I had written after the mod squad I had I had an opportunity to, to write and potentially maybe have directed this movie on Richard Pryor and I was so sort of dated and sort of ruined by the experience in the mod squad that I kind of put all my creativity into this other script and it's kind of embarrassing I drew in it it was just like I just vomited all this creativity in this script and kind of the unsung hero for my career, but I think for this movie is Jim Whitaker,
0: right. who
1: was an executive at Imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, he read that script.
0: So it was a biopic he- for Richard Pryor?
1: A biopic for Richard Pryor. Okay. It's a whole other story, which is crazy. Yes. But it was it was out there and it was it was just there was just a lot of crazy shit in it. And so he had read that, mm-hmm. and that's why they called me to sort of do this movie mm-hmm. to write this script. And so my agent, like I said, Jessica, the, kind of like the last agent who stuck by me was like, you know, go take this meeting. So I did a bunch of research on Eminem and sort of looked about his life, read about it. And I think the first thing that I came back with was his life was fascinating. You know, how he got discovered by Dre, mm-hmm. his relationship with his mother, the suicide attempt, you know, before he sort of found himself in this, you know, slim, shady character. So I'm like, wow, let's just do a movie about his life. And the story that was told to me was that you were the one that came back and said, this can't be about Eminem's life. Who is he? What has he done so far? It can't just be a movie about him, which was brilliant because you're right. I mean, you're going to make a biopic. And and again, part of what's exciting for me about this is, you know, I'm not even sure all the stuff I heard was true, but at least they told me that you said no. And I I don't think it was about my pitch, but it was sort of about... Overall, sort of what the movie was going to be.
0: Definitely. It was, It was. you know, we were just a few years into his career. Like, I was like, who are we going to be making a movie about his life? Like, he's still living it. Like, it just didn't seem like the right thing to do. But, you know, what I did like and what, what they ended up getting us on board with was the idea of we want to make this, like, a cross between, like, Purple Rain, right? right. Which was Prince's film that was... Not really about him, but it was, right? But just like a slice of his life. And combine that with the sort of energy, and this was Jimmy's big thing, of Saturday Night Fever, right? That sort of like, this is a moment in people's lives. It's exciting. They're young. Things are about to happen, and we're just capturing a window into it, and it's got to be exciting and energetic and sexy and cool. So that sold me, right? Putting those two things together I thought was a great idea
1: yeah so they didn't tell me that initially so when i first pitched that they were like no Mm -hmm. Um, but again it comes back to jim whitaker thinking that i was still the guy and so i came back with my second pitch listening to so i guess his album must have been out because i was listening to his music obviously so i came back with something that was more pushed and violent sort of like his music i was like maybe we should do a movie like that Mm -hmm. and jim i don't know if even made it to brian jim was like no that's not it. And I forget sort of how I ended up sort of where we did, but it really was about Jim thinking that I was the guy to write this.
0: Do you think that so that more violent thing was like in a slim shady direction? Yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean,
1: I listening to the music. I was like, that's that. The movie should be an extension of his music. Right. The music is kind of over the top. The movie should be over the top right and a
0: song like kill again, you and hi kids do you yeah. like violence yeah. and all that stuff yeah exactly
1: right. and for whatever reason jim again whether it made it to you guys or it made it to to brian they were like no that's not it so again i kind of failed twice on what i was pitching so I was like i'm not going to get this job and but how again, far did you
0: go in these pitches were these like just outlines or just ideas or, or where ideas
1: i mean okay. the first one was obvious i mean M's life at the time was a movie, right? Sure. There's a complete movie, struggles, you know, drops out of school, shit with his mom, mm-hmm. and gets discovered. I mean, he has him. There's a whole full movie in his real life. So that right. was easy to, I could pitch that right away. I didn't get much more on sort of the movie should be like his music. but just like, no, that's not what it's going to be. And so I can't remember whether it was you guys or whether it was, you know, jim and brian who sent me some dvds of rap battles yeah those were sent to me and all those were there and i'm like oh yeah okay well there's the movie then and sort of at the time they were talking purple rain but in watching those i sort of felt like it could be much more like saturday night fever because that movie ends with a with a with a competition dance competition yeah and i felt like then it becomes in essence a sports movie You know, and sort of uh, because those rap battles lend itself to that. So it started to take shape. I'm not sure how, again, it's 20 years ago, how much more I pitched out than that to sort of get the job. But ultimately, like I said, really because of Jim Whitaker, I ended up getting the job. Right. And then I had to sort of figure out what the movie was. And that kind of started the process of figuring it out more.
0: I can't imagine that 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 Jim or Brian were sending you rap battle DVDs. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that came from us, but
1: yeah, it, and I'm sure it came from you guys yeah. too. But I don't think at that point I was talking to you guys yet, because I'm not even sure what other the they were out to at the time.
0: Right. So when when you got the idea that this might be centered around this world of battle rap, did you start thinking like this is this is like hip hop Rocky, or did that come later? Because essentially that's what a lot of people compare it to, right? Right. Yeah. It's, and, it's and, Rocky it's, a, and I take it as a compliment. Night. Rocky's, in, you know, an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Best Rocky's Picture. one of the right. greatest movies ever made. Right. I'm, not,
1: I'm not shitting on Rocky. At yeah. All. It's so it's, that
0: to me, that was classic. a great thing. And and I'm just wondering if like your head went there or that's where we ended up or it happened somewhere along the way or what?
1: You know, for, for me, for me as a writer, I always try to put some of what I believe or, you know, something personal, not about me in the movie. So when it wasn't going to be M's life, you got to always find your way in as a writer. I needed to find kind of like what the story was going to be about. So I can't remember so long ago, if I kind of knew a sense of what it was going to be, or if, you know, after I got the job, I met M. can't remember if he was in LA or if I had to go to New York, he was doing some photo shoot. Right. Or maybe getting ready for a video. I can't remember. And I met him and we just met and kind of, he said, okay, I could do it. And, and then I, Started spending Wait, time with him. He just
0: walked it. up to you and said, "Okay, you can do it."
1: No, he did not say that. <laughs> what do you, I think I what do you mean? Of,
0: like what? I think I, how um, did that happen? I think
1: I think I think I was okay. I forget. We sort of he w- I just met him and we talked a little bit and I right. guess he and I think I met you and and Stuart I think and they're like, "Okay, this guy's all right, whatever." Yeah. Because I don't think at that point I really had pitched anything because after that I started to spend time with him and we went to Detroit. I went on the road with him. I went on tour, which was crazy.
0: Yeah. And I so remember I got we, to, we brought you around, around quite a bit yeah. to get to get a sense of, you know, what Marsha was like and what the world was like and,
1: yeah. you know, really and what... To, I
0: think one of the important things for us, and I think for you as well, what, what Detroit was like, right? Exactly. Because yeah, Detroit sure. was a character was, in that movie.
1: Yeah, for Big sure. Time. Yeah, and so we went to Detroit, which I had never been to before and spent time there, and, and I got to know proof. Yeah. The rest of the guys, but really proof. I mean... M was really busy, so I actually spent in some more time with Proof than I did with M.
0: Yeah, um, I remember and, that too. Spent a lot of
1: time with them. Yeah, so I started collecting these stories of M's life, but knowing that it wasn't going to be about him, but the details of what he went through and what those guys were like, and so that at least gave me, you know, some stuff to work with. But ultimately, at some point, I decided that the movie was going to be as much about what I was going through because at the time, like I said, my career was over, and kind of everywhere I went living i lived in la then and i guess i do again now but i was a constant reminder of my failure and every was a very public failure and everybody knew that the movie was terrible and did shitty and that i that was my movie and so i was kind of aware of wherever i went that that happened and so
0: where people were like you thought felt like they were whispering oh there's the dude that made mod squad yeah
1: Yeah, exactly he's so like what a fucking loser yeah for sure like what a fucking loser i wanted the movie to be about that and ultimately i had complete aside from this i had a great shrink who saved my life his name is phil stutz there happens to be a documentary about him right now on 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 netflix that oh, wow. uh, jonah Hill directed but phil Phil oh, yeah, kind of. i saw, saved my I life saw that and, what's that called it's called stutz
0: right yeah yeah, yeah.
1: he's amazing he's a genius and i w- saw him beforehand and, and he kind of got me through this really horrible experience and he and basically he has a lot of things that he that he's about as a as a, as a shrink but Part of it is is he says that if you sort of let somebody outside of yourself tell you whether who you are, whether you're a genius or a failure, you're dead, you're doomed. You can't let anybody else outside of you tell you how you're going to feel about yourself, validate you. And I'm like, okay, because that's sort of what at the time I would do sort of if something I did was good, I'd feel like, oh, that means I'm good or something sucked. That means I suck. But also looking for other people to tell me what that was. And so a
0: very non-Hollywood approach. Right, actually exactly. right exactly. because so, a, a, all of your success is based on how people react to the art you're making right so it's hard to yeah. internalize that approach you're like what what the fuck are you talking about that's all i get yeah. my validation from right. is how other people are he, telling me how to feel
1: yeah but even but even more than that looking for it letting sort of saying i'm gonna i'm gonna go outside myself and i'm gonna need your validation to prove that i'm good or that i'm all right and once you do that he was like you're fucked you failed because Even if they tell you you're a genius, you're probably not a genius. And if they tell you're a failure, you're You're probably not a failure. Yeah, you just have to do the work. And so I was like, oh, that's what I want the movie to be about: about a person who is constantly reminded of his failure, looking at it, looking outside himself for validation, but ultimately at the end, he goes, "Fuck you! I don't need you. I know who I am. Yeah, I know I am. I don't need you to tell me who I am." And so. That's kind of like what I wanted thematically the movie to be about. And I also know, much like this experience, sort of the fear of, you know, doing something public and maybe failing or humiliating yourself or embarrassing embarrassing yourself, that sort of was the formation of the first scene. You know, it's a it's a minor point, but but in the script and again, I don't know how it comes across in the movie, I didn't he doesn't have stage fright for me. He just doesn't want to be judged by those people out there and sort of, and sort of like, he doesn't want to embarrass himself and humiliate himself when he's going to go out and do this. And so, right. There's a, there's a
0: subtle difference between the two. Yeah.
1: And so, and so I knew that, that I wanted the movie to start with that, you know, sort of be reminded of his failure. Like that night, that opening scene, that incident sort of is what triggers everything that happens
0: forward. Yeah. So that, the bathroom scene then at the beginning of the film where he's hyping himself up and he goes out, and in his in the first battle, we see he chokes. That was that was Mod Squad.
1: That was Mod Squad, right? That, that that's what. And the end was me, and you know, it's such a, it's probably the best scene in the movie. Is you know the end of the movie was where he's just like, "Fuck you, right? I'm not going to tell me how to feel about myself."
0: And that was that's you what, you that realizing that was, so, in, inside yourself that you need to find your own sense yeah. of satisfaction, and you can't look outside for it.
1: Yeah, if I'm looking outside for validation, I'm lost. You're already fucked.
0: Yeah, because you can't. You know why? Because you can't fucking control it.
1: Because you and you're giving up. You're giving up your power. Yeah. You're like I'm letting you tell me how I should feel about myself. Right. In any way, if I'm talented, if, if I'm whatever it is, like I'm not going to do that. I'm. I can get that from myself. I don't need anybody else to do that. And so, that to me is sort of the the you know the journey of the movie.
0: Sure. For, for that B be be rabbit character. character, yeah. So when when you went out to Detroit and you're spending time with Proof and you're talking to Marshall and myself and whoever else we put you in front of, I don't remember everybody at this point, but. What were you trying to do? Were you trying to get a sense of the city, a sense of Marshall, a sense of battle rap? Like, wh- where were you sort of searching?
1: All of it, because, you know, I'm like I said, it's a different world than what where I'm from. It sort of is a, you know, hip hop is a different experience than yeah. where i'm from or who i am and, and i think as a writer for as a writer for me you want to try to keep you know, it's those little details that make it real and it's those stories so important about their experience and their lives that sort of that i'm looking for and so it was really about the littlest things that you go oh okay i understand that character or yeah. i understand that world and so it's really about trying to immerse yourself as much as possible in sort of in sort of what their lives were like and so it was all it was little stories more than big stories because i knew we weren't tell the real story of M's life so those little stories like the car was like you know he told me about that car that he had that
0: sort of yeah, that broke down work,
1: yeah that broke down and so that kind of stuff added details that hopefully give it a level of reality that i would never be able to come up with i mean as sure. a, you know i used to be a journalist before this and so your imagination is never as good as sort of what you know what really happened and so i i got that from all from all of you know from hanging out and sort of talking to from seeing it and obviously I'm, I, I didn't live it but sort of seeing it and talking to em and sort of talking to proof right and getting sense of what that was like
0: but you even went to the to some of the places right like you went to saint andrews and the shelter and yeah you know sort yeah. of tried to pick up on the, the vibe which you know still existed to an extent at the time
1: a little bit yeah i mean yes but but just hanging out with the guys, just how that was, and I can't remember the, and who was hanging out in the group back then with him. But everything was so musical,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, just sort of how everybody spoke and how everybody hung out, and 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 just get a sense of the guys hanging out. And and I'm, you know, quite frankly, I'm not sure that the movie captured that. Just just how just just the sense of camaraderie and how and it was always so musical. So yeah. I try to get some of that. In the script, but that was sort of another thing that sort of came from, not just the places, but all those guys hanging out with each other.
0: Yeah, listen, I think some of that was represented within the the crew that you wrote up, right? With the you know the various characters from you know Cheddar Bob to right. Future and you know the the other guys in the crew from you know Wink, who's sort of outside of the crew, but you know all all of the dudes and obviously Omar. Right, who is who is a great character in the right. film yeah. who played Saul. But the the thing that really struck us, when I say us, I mean myself and Marshall when we got the script, right? Was like you said, you took you took stories and you took real pieces and real places and put them together into a script for a film that really represented the scene that he came from, right, and yeah. that to me was a really amazing thing because I wasn't really that confident that somebody could pull it off, let alone you know a dude who wrote Mod Squad, who was from right. you know L.A. and like a Hollywood writer. Like I was like, I don't know if this is going to be the guy. I trusted Jimmy and I trusted Brian, right, and and hence Jim Whitaker, because he was he was on Brian's staff. Because they said, we think this is the guy. I mean, what the fuck do we know, right? We were, we were guys that worked in the music industry for a few years and had some success, had never done anything in the film industry. So we figured the best thing to do would be to trust people who knew what they were doing, right? right. Much, much like we did with Dr. Dre in the music industry, right? Like, let's find the guy who's best at this shit and rock with him, right? right. So we're going to find the guy who's best at making movies and go with him. So that's what we did. And when we got the script and read it, we were like kind of elated you know yeah yeah because we we felt we felt like he they got it they nailed it they you know he put together this story that really you know felt authentic and it felt like detroit and it felt like the scene that marshall came from and that was just you know one of the most incredible things about it to me especially at that stage
1: yeah, the uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And 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 it was. I'm a, I'm a really slow writer, and things are usually take me a long time to do. But this one for me happened pretty fast. I think it was a combination of what I was going through and what I was feeling, because it was still kind of fresh. But also because the stories that I'm told were so great and sort of so interesting. And 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 you know, and and then, you know, I don't know if you remember, because I almost forgot. I actually brought like the early script because I just wanted to take a look. Initially, the movie was called Fight Music.
0: Oh it wow! I didn't called, I didn't remember that.
1: Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't eight mile. It was called fight music because there's a line in an M song about fight. I don't make
0: I'm I'm gonna butcher it. I'm not gonna embarrass. Yeah, it's a D12 song it. called fight music.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a there's a line. I don't make something music. I make fight music. There's a line in, and I think it's an M song. Is it or is it? Yeah. A D- yeah, song? you're right. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I called it fight music. And initially, I was writing the script, and you guys came and said that they were worried about M's mom suing us. And so that the character and their relationship had to be completely different. And so, you know, there's there's always a process in developing scripts, and then once you bring a director on, the changes. But you know, initially in the script, M's mom was really young. I had her have, have had her have M when she was like 15 or something, and so I saw like Patricia Arquette playing her. So it was very different. So in you saw specific
0: script- actors for some of the roles in the movie.
1: I don't know if I would. I mean, I didn't write specifically for Patricia Arquette. I just, I knew we wanted to make it different than his mom, and I just thought there was something, right? You know, it stayed in the script, but you know, this somebody else told me a story about that their mom was dating someone that they went to high school with, which I thought was just so humiliating. Like this right. is the guy your mom,
0: right? And so, but Michael, I also thought well, Michael was, Shannon's character, be,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. She's got to be, you know, still young enough that it makes sense. I didn't. I had no idea at the time it was going to be Kim Basinger, so you know I wrote her as someone who was pretty young. I mean, you know, only you know more like a sisterly relationship with with Jimmy than sort of rabbit, than sort of than a motherly relationship, and right. so that was a difference. Then when they cast Kim Basinger, kind of obviously it changed because she she's not that. But I, did, I didn't write it for Patricia Arquette per se, but someone who was younger, and that's kind of imagine it. And in the first script, he actually worked in a he worked in a hotel.
0: Yeah, I remember Um, that. You know, because I wanted based it on. I think it was the Townsend.
1: Yeah, I wanted a difference in class and a place, the the same almost the same action that happened, but but that changed when changed what he did when when Curtis came on. So because I also loved a movie about alienation. I loved Quadrophenia. and although it's a lot of Saturday Night Fever, I also liked the bellboy scene in Quadrophini, like the humiliation of having to put on a bellboy hat just cracked me up And trying to sort of what that would be like. But that's, you know.
0: Is that why uh, you put him in the hotel? Because you want him in a bellboy hat? That's it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I just thought it was an interesting location yeah. and a shitty job. It's a humiliating
0: um, job to be carrying it's around a somebody's luggage.
1: It's a, it's a humiliating job. It's a humiliating job to have to wear that, you know, it's a, you know.
0: One of those little the, suits with like the... the, the, the like yes, a sol- it's, it's kind of, a, of like a soldier suit almost, right? It's
1: a tough, it's a tough suit to wear.
0: Yeah, yeah. And picturing um, Marshall in it would probably give me a little satisfaction.
1: Yeah. So, but that didn't didn't make it. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the first director we went to for the movie? Yeah. The first, da- first
0: Danny Boyle. Yeah. We were very close on Danny. He you had, he had met with Marshall as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, at the time I was a huge you know Danny Boyle fan, and so when when he was interested, I was like, oh my god, Danny Boyle! He had done Train Spotting,
0: right? An amazing movie.
1: An amazing movie, and so I was like, "Fuck, it's going to be Danny Boyle, you know." But then I heard that that you guys had met with him and and decided, no, not Danny Boyle.
0: Well, you know what it was is I think Marshall met with a few people and you know just decided one path to go down, and you know there was just something about Danny that he didn't connect with, and I'm not am not sure exactly what it was, but one of the one of the approaches that he wanted to take for the film. Marshall was just like, you know, I don't I don't think that this is going to work and I don't think it's right and I think we need to, you know, go with a different option, right? It wasn't right. like he didn't like D- Danny and, and, you know, Danny's obviously, you know, a remarkable and very successful director, but it, it was, you know, what Marshall was, was feeling in his gut and he went with his gut and, you know, it was the right call. So, yeah. um, it, I mean, it would have been a, probably still a great movie, don't get me wrong, but it would have been a different movie.
1: yeah. And in some alternate universe, I'd love to have seen that movie. Yeah. But I think it would have had,
0: it would have had, you know, probably some more edge to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it probably, you know, would have been, you know, grittier and, you know, maybe darker, but, you know, things happen for a reason. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we got to yeah. the place that we got to, and uh, it was, it was what was supposed to happen.
1: Yeah. Well, I think sort of to that end, I think sort of whether it was you or I'm, you know, were like wanted a more mainstream movie and and i think that was obviously the right call and i know sort of when i was thinking about the story you talked about rocky i remember sort of i wanted because at the time that world would have been very different for an audience to go to you know seeing you know a hip-hop world in a movie which there hadn't been that many beforehand i felt like i wanted to make the movie as sort of the, the story itself like you said it's rocky kind of as basic and meat and potatoes as possible because so the audience would have a familiarity with the story it is an underdog story and sort of what's he going to do and then all the other stuff on top of it that would be the the stuff that they'd be introduced with so they wouldn't have to sort of you know kind of they could be comfortable with the story and i think that's that's something that's opened it up to a wider audience
0: i go back to what really resonated with me when i read the script and it's because partially because of what you said about those stories that you took, right? And you put those stories in the film. And there's a couple of things that I remember I told you about that ended up in the movie as well, right? And when you read it and you see those things connected into a story, it just feels real. And authenticity was super, super important to us with this movie. And I think we were really naive in approaching this thing, like thinking that we were going to be able to nail it. And I think we're a lot, lot luckier in the many regards than we give the world credit for in making this a successful film, right? Because more often than not, people approach something like this and it doesn't work out and it doesn't doesn't end up being great. But I think the thing that we didn't realize is how risky it was for us to do this movie. Because Marshall was certainly established on a base level, growing, had a big fan base, successful records, but was only a few years into his career. And if this thing was bad, or we had fucked it up, or done a bad job, it could have seriously damaged his trajectory. And why would we risk that? Like, we didn't think about it like that. Like, we were young and naive and like, oh, we're going to go do this, we're going to crush it, it's going to be great. Like, what? Why would you do that? Like, yeah. if I was talking to, you know, 30-year-old me right now, I would be like, hey, are you nuts? You're going to fuck this whole thing up. Right. So what what is your thoughts on that?
1: Well, that you guys did it or that... No,
0: that well, we were able to pull it off. Like, it, it, it's you've done a lot of this at this think, point. Right. More right. often well, than not, it's it
1: doesn't work. You forget you're talking to a, a writer. So I, you know... I have a I have a lot of issues with the movie, like any writer.
0: Sure, so, but you can't argue so, with the success that it had commercially. And no, no,
1: I'm, I'm thrilled with that. Yeah. obviously. So, so, you know, Curtis obviously was a was a is it was unfortunately a, you know a great director, and yeah. you know the challenge was always in some level would would you know m be able to pull off the acting, you know, because yes. if he was a terrible actor, then the For movie was sure. terrible. You know, it's funny because I I know that we had talked about not you and I, but jim and with grazer i talked about sort of that and i went back and watched a bunch of movies with first-time actors oh. or like non-professional actors or so, or
0: singers or, or, or artists right. music artists doing movies yeah
1: and the movie that was the most helpful to me was you know i did watch purple rain but but prince isn't great in it you know if i if i recall but i went and back and watched fame and fame's a, i love i love that movie and and mostly there's a lot of not mostly, but there's a lot of non-professional actors. And what I noticed in the scenes with non-professional actors is that sort of they only ask the actor to do one emotion. Like, this is the scene where you're angry. This is the scene wherever, as opposed to saying you're going to start here and go there. So they never asked an actor to sort of, to sort of make a turn in the middle of a scene, because that's maybe more difficult. So in writing it, I tried to sort of only have, you know, M's character only have one emotion in the scene, and just right. have to play that. So, we did come to it thinking, like, okay, how can we sort of make this work? You know, so so you have it has a chance of success.
0: So but you I gave him you gave him guardrails a little bit. Yeah,
1: I mean, to try to make it easier for, as an actor that he that for stuff that he could do.
0: Right, and so you I weren't writing King Lear for him, or you know something. No, <laughs> sort
1: of have to go like cry and you know sort of go through the scene where sort of has a bunch of twists and turns. No, that right. would have been too. The dudes. So just keep it simple for his character. But I wasn't, you know, it's a long road before we get to sort of, um, you know, there was a lot of shit that went on with Curtis and sort of with me. And, you know, I didn't finish the movie. So so I wasn't sure if the movie was going to work until I got, until, I don't know if they sent me the dailies for the last scene or Jim sent me, the or Jim showed me the dailies for the last scene. But once I saw that, you know, I was like, this is going to work. Yeah. I mean, that scene is incredible. And it's not even, you know, they, it's, it becomes a performance. I mean, it's not even what any of the rap battles that I look like. They, and I wasn't there. So I don't know how Curtis or Cor- Curtis and that made that decision just to make it a, basically a performance. Yeah. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs>
0: One of the things that, that filming that, that I think was a good idea, was the guys didn't know what each other's lines were going to be in the first takes, right? Right. So Marshall, as he's known to do, kept his creative ideas and, and his writing very close to his chest, right? And it wasn't until for most people I don't even think I necessarily knew all the lines he had but it wasn't until we filmed the battle that the guys he was facing heard how he was going to come at them right Right. and vice versa with the lines that they had for him and that was so I think obviously they could get some honest reactions and it could feel real because even though you're filming a movie if you're up there and Eminem's standing in front of you and you know what he's a, he's capable of doing and he's about to go at you, you're going to have some, like, real reaction to that, right? Right. So that's why they set it up like that. I don't know if you thought about that when you wrote it.
1: No, you know, you know, obviously I didn't write any of the rap battles, and, you know, the challenge, I guess, in any sports movie is making each sort of battle different, you know, and what sort are you doing so it doesn't feel repetitive. Yeah. And I didn't really, you know know how I was going to do the last battle different obviously because it is like Rocky he has to sort of face off against Papa Doc at the end and you know you want him to be to kind of get his and it's one of the rare cases it doesn't it doesn't often happen but I was trying to get I was was writing that scene and I like I'm not the smartest guy so I it's easy for me to write dumb characters and I love you know stupid characters and Cheddar Bob was like a fun character to write because he was such a dope
0: Yeah, he was great.
1: He was, and and so, that's one of the rare instances of like inspiration for me. That sort of like I was just writing that scene, and that character just started saying the stupidest shit ever. Which was, "What are they going to say when they say this, this, and this to you?"
0: Yeah, what are you You going to do when they talk about you still living in a trailer with your mom and and your guy went to high school with with is your boyfriend? And yeah, exactly. And how you're broke and you don't have any clothes and,
1: and, and yeah, and when. so it's like and so i was like oh god there it is like that's the last scene he's gonna go first and say uh, take all their shit and make it about himself right and say now you have nothing left and i didn't plan that but that sort of once that happened you're like oh that 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 to me was sort of the you know how to make how to make that uh, that's the payoff for the whole thing and how to make it work because you know he's going to get there so how is that victory about something thematic which is i'm not gonna let it's okay i this all this shit is true and it doesn't matter what you say about me because i know i know the truth about myself and so it allowed that to happen but i hadn't planned that when i started writing it just kind of happened
0: right yeah i mean obviously you know a, a lot of that had to do with as much as the circumstance that you set up writing with you know what marshall wrote right because he okay. obviously wrote his own battle and of his course. own raps and and you know that you giving him that platform and opportunity to do it combined with him and what he's capable of doing. It just, it just made, made it. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to call it a masterpiece there. I said it right here on Paul Pot. <laughs> Fucking masterpiece. Oh, what the,
1: what's the masterpiece?
0: That battle scene at the end.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. He, well, he's, he's incredible. I mean, he, he did a great job as an actor, but again, that's what struck me as having seen a lot of battles that just he just turns to the audience and it's a performance at some point he stops almost a rap battle and it feels like he's just performing and it's so he's so good in it and what he says and then it's when he says i'm going to go ac-. i mean i saw that i mean to me the the greatest moment of that whole movie was when it was over i got a i got a, a dvd a, a cd a dvd a cd delivered to me and i played it and i was in my kitchen and it was lose yourself yeah, and, and and in my whole career, there's a few moments that you go, "Wow, the fact that I had anything to do to be part of that—obviously not writing the song or making the song, but even creating the environment." When I've heard that song for the first time, I mean, it just—it just killed me. I was like, "That, that, that's you know, top three or four moments in my career." Yeah, the song, just hearing the song, you know, and and. And yes, the battle is like the greatest fucking ending. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And so, yes, that's that moment, that scene is great. And then obviously that song is a masterpiece. Yeah. You know, that's a masterpiece.
0: Sure. And and the fact that, you know, the circumstances under which he wrote it, right, which was on set, right, during right. the film. There's a demo version of that song that we released. Did, have you heard it?
1: I, I yeah, I bought yeah, I heard it. Yeah. yeah.
0: So the demo version is not Really, the same, and it's not really him going back and forth between being himself and the yeah. character B. Rabbit, right? Because that's what he does so brilliantly in the song, is yeah. he blurs the lines he between Pfeiffer. himself and and B. Rabbit.
1: Mackay yeah, 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 it's incredible.
0: So one minute you think he's talking about him, and the next minute you know he's talking about yeah. Rabbit, and then he moves it back into himself, and it's it's yeah, it's just very deftly done All in a right. in a brilliant way, and and he was able to do that on set, which. You know, I was there, and I still can't believe that he did it, right? I mean, I was there every day, and and watching him in the in the studio trailer, and you know, writing rhymes on his hand in between takes, and you know, just crazy circumstances to be able to pull something like that off.
1: Yeah, no, it's genius. I'm curious, because I'm not sure exactly what happened. As you know, you know, I wrote Future for Proof.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: You know? Proof was was so charismatic and so funny. It was
0: based on him, right, yeah. in, in, in many regards.
1: Yeah, it is him. I wanted it to be him. I wrote it for him. I right. mean, it's like, like I said, I spent, I was fortunate to spend a lot of time with him at that time and sort of, you know, he took me around to those places, you know, and so, and he was, you know, such a star, but. What I had heard, at least from Stewart, was that he didn't show up to the
0: audition. Is that true? Well, what had happened was there was definite thought that we wanted proof to be the character because it was based on him, right? And he was, you know, Marshall's best friend, and it all made sense. So yes, we asked him to to go, and you know, he had to show Curtis what he was capable of, right? Just like. You know, of course, you've got, you know, spending however many millions of dollars on making a film, you got to make sure the people that are going to be in it can act. So he he definitely blew off a couple things. And I, and I don't remember the exact circumstances, but, you know, it was a crazy time. And, you know, the the guys were young still. They were, you know, out being rock stars. Right. So he may have blew one or two things off, but. You know, I don't want to say anything that Curtis can't refute because he's not here to be able to do so. But I think I surmise, in a sense, that Curtis was nervous about the idea of the two main male roles in the movie both being guys who had never acted really before. Right. And I think he was looking for a way out. Right. Right. Because he didn't. He knew he had a challenge with Marshall to begin with. And I don't think he wanted to extend that challenge so that he had proof in it just so he could make us happy, right? Or make Marshall happy or whatever the case may be. He wanted, I think, to surround him with actors. Right. People who knew what they were doing. Because it elevates what Marshall's doing, right? So in a sense, I can't blame him because I know where his head was at. But again, this is just my guess is that while Proof may have, you know, missed or blown off a couple things, I think that that was ultimately used as an excuse to say, yeah. okay, well, we can't. He's not taking this seriously. We got to get a real actor in here.
1: Yeah, that's my sense, too. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: But, you know, look, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, you know, Makai did great, and Proof was yeah. in the movie anyway, ultimately, right? So, yeah. you know, it, it, it kind of worked out, and, uh, well, definitely worked out. But, yeah, that was crazy. So is there anybody else? This is the other thing I was going to ask you. Is there anybody else who ended up in the cast that you felt like you thought about writing the movie for, I mean, because, well, answer that. And then I'll go into what I was going to say.
1: You mean like an, an actor that I thought of, you know, you know, not really because, you know, everybody in the movie that I wrote was younger. Mm -hmm. You know, the mom character was younger. Michael Shannon would have been, I mean, I don't know how, you know, felt younger, you know, out the, the god just lost her name who britney murphy yeah that character was younger you know i i I saw that character almost being like in her late teens early 20s because the way that she acted i didn't she was just a kid i i i I saw this i saw some documentary on a on a bunch of teenage girls or something and it was just like the carefree attitude and not sort of giving a shit about everything i wanted it to have that kind of youthful energy with her and you know britney was older than the character and in the original script wink was white oh
0: know? really uh, yeah i didn't know um, that
1: yeah em had told me and, and and curtis took this out of the script and there was a and i'm not sure why and i'm i, f- I forget the name of the real person but someone em told me the story about someone kept on promising him that they were going to be able to record at paisley park yeah that they knew prince yeah love this like some sort. so that was a whole that was a whole story that story thread that got taken out of the, out of the script.
0: Yeah. Out of I remember the that. I'm
1: not sure if it made it to the final draft or not, but I just like this idea that they're going to go to hang out with Prince. And the guy had pictures of Prince. It was just like, it was so weird and out there. And, yeah. and I loved that. And I think it, and I based the characters loosely, on whoever that was, mm. who had promised him that. And I just thought it was such a goofy thing. And, and, and he believed it. And so this idea that you have this, you know, there's this idea in the movie of sort of, because, you know, there's a scene, I think it was one of the first scenes they shot, where he says, you ever sort of, you know, think you're up here and you have to come down here? Yeah. So it's just this idea that sort of you have these dreams of what you want to do, which is up here, which, you know, and, and that to me was Paisley Park or whatever. But down here is where it happens. You got to do the work. And that's why it was really important to me. And I'm glad it stayed in the in 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 the 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 movie. And it goes back to sort of what, you know, my shrink was talking about at the time. Like, the only way to get out of whatever you're, whatever you're in is you have to work. Mm-hmm. You got to do the work to sort of do it So it's really important at the end He has this opportunity to go and party Or to go and sort of Yeah, live up uh, here Live it up here and to sort of go And 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 sort of uh, join Sort of pro- join future on stage It's like, no, no He's just got to do the work to get to where he wants to get to And that's the one thing that sort of You know, obviously in 20 years And I, I didn't really know at the time Em that well, but I got to spend some time with him And everybody even now says, what was he like? And I was like, he was always working. He was always writing. You know, everybody has this impression that like he was partying or drinking or whatever. He was, I always saw him writing. I mean, as a writer, I have nothing but, you know, obviously his music's great, but how much time he spent writing and working. And so I just love that work ethic. That it's about, it always comes back to the work. Like, what's the work? So that's why The Last thing, it's about him going back to work. And so, I forget where the question started, but that that sort of was... You know, always oh, it's about sort of Paisley Park, and that's yeah. not in the movie, but that always represented that sort of, you know, sort of that dream. So the, so the other than Cheddar Bob was sort of how I saw him, and Saul was kind of how I saw him. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know those actors that I didn't know Evan at the time or, or sure or those actors back then.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, and that's the thing that I was going to say that that I stopped myself, and that a lot of people don't realize the actors in this movie, right? Many of them were either first time or early on in their career. And this sort of alumni from this film has gone on to do some remarkable stuff. I mean, really crazy, if you think about it. Everybody, yeah. you know, from obviously Kim Basinger was obviously who she was already, and Makai was who he was. But beyond that, and, you know, Britney was known, unfortunately, you know, she went on to do some more great right. stuff and, and and passed away early. Evan did. that played Cheddar did some great independent stuff. Omar is still working, doing great stuff, right? And, and a wonderful guy, Taron Manning, right? Who played yeah. Janine, which was Marshall's great. girlfriend in the film that he broke up with, right. has gone on to do like awesome stuff. And his, you know, yeah. Pennsylvania and Orange so is the New Black, you. right? Yeah. And so good, so, so good, great. so good. And
1: he says pregnant. That always cracks me up. Pregnant,
0: right? <laughs> pregnant. Um, pregnant. Michael Shannon, my God, like played greg buell who, who was know. his mother's boyfriend in the film obviously and he's like one of the most accomplished you know american actors there is now like he's yeah. you know uh, oscar nominated very serious thespian right yeah. and he's fucking yeah. greg buell
1: yeah <laughs> and you're forgetting right, and you're forgetting well, i'm
0: not done oh, i'm not, not done, done. i'm okay. still going so uh, anthony Mackey, gonna... right yes anthony mm-hmm. Mackey. this was his first movie i know playing papa doc and now he's the fucking Winter Warrior, right? I know, or the Falcon, or whatever he is. I mean, the he's the new Captain America. He's it's crazy, it's fucking off. And, and a
1: great actor.
0: Great actor, a great guy. Way, it, took,
1: it took me months to come up with all these fucking names. Did that it? was the one. That, oh yeah, I mean, like who? These are. It's all about the name. At some point, it was all about everybody having multiple names. Yeah, like, this idea of who you are, and so I love that 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 rabbit had Jimmy Jimmy Smith Jr like B Rabbit all sorts of names and everybody had their real name and sort of cuz that name of that identity of who you want to be and who you really are and so sure you know one thing that drives me crazy about the movie though is that and 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 I'm not sure if this is true or not like at some point I don't know why they they you know it's like and everybody had group names and I came up with the Free World and but at some point they decided to dress them all in black and leather it's like they're the it's shark. It's like, like they're the, the villains. Fuck?
0: Yeah. Like, like at
1: some point yeah. someone said at the studio was like, How do we know that they're the bad guys? I'm like, not they're really the bad guys, but Yeah, because they're dressed in they're, black
0: leather. That's why they're all dressed in yeah. black
1: leather. Like, what's going on? It's like the fifties or something? Yeah. That drives
0: that like like they're a greaser gang?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but they have yeah, they're all dressed in black.
0: You know, it's funny. There's there's a few things in the movie that drive me crazy. That wasn't one of them, but I realized it earlier. Oh, this is what I wanted to say. So when you were talking about earlier writing for Marshall and the sort of scenes having one one emotional speed, right. when people make fun of this movie or spoof it, they right. always make paint Eminem as being super angry and like always <laughs> on the verge of wanting to fight everybody in the movie. And if you go back and look at the movie through that lens, it's kind of funny because he's always like, what? What'd you say to me? You want to fucking go? Right? <laughs> like every, At a drop of a hat, he just wanted to throw blows.
1: I have to admit, I haven't... You know, I don't watch the movie that much because I only see the stuff that I that I don't like. So and I it never would be watched. Weir- it.
0: it would be weird if you did. By the way, I
1: know, Yeah, I've never. I've only. Think, I, I've only seen the movie once. I have seen the last scene many times because yeah. that is so good, and that sort of and that sort of is amazing. But there's some shit that drives me crazy. That that I, that like I said, it's any sort of you know writers sort of that. So, but like I said, maybe he's mad because I did want to put it in every scene. A constant reminder of his failure. You signed me up to battle.
0: So what? <laughs> just angry.
1: He's great in the movie, though.
0: I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he is, is. But he, but he's definitely a little bit on edge. He's a little yeah, a little bit like a... I,
1: I can't take the blame for that. But but it just wanted yeah, just one emotion. But I didn't. I was hoping that maybe the one emotion isn't anger all the time. The other thing that I, I remember is again, I didn't. I was off the movie by this time. I. The one thing that I went to Detroit that I was, that was fascinating to me was sort of how much nature reclaimed, like some of the neighborhoods where there were trees growing out of houses. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. Some of the, the rougher yeah. neighborhoods back in the Yeah, the,
0: especially back I mean, then. It's gotten a lot I, better, by the way. Yeah. a lot. Better. You know, I
1: went back and I did another movie in Detroit. Well, I worked on another movie in Detroit about white boy Rick, um, right. but, but yeah, so it was, it was just, it was, it felt, it was, it was like, it was the inner city, but it felt rural. It was, it was, it was, it was surreal. And I had read a story because I did a bunch of research on Detroit in that area and around eight mile that a bunch of police horses had escaped and they were running through the neighborhood. And there was something about H-hor- that police image, horses. That like, yeah,
0: right. I was like, that's,
1: so, that's sort of so horses represent kind of freedom, but it was so surreal. And so I have this whole horse thing that happened yes that the horses get out yes and and i didn't i never saw those dailies but i heard that there was a cut of the movie with the horses that people just were like what the fuck is this oh yeah <laughs> yeah oh Which yeah i've never seen i've never seen it i never so, saw any horses but when i heard they cut the horses i was a little bit devastated
0: okay well let me tell you a little bit about the fucking horses okay because when we when we film those scenes marshall ends up in like a junkyard with a horse, right? Which sort of wanders out of nowhere right. and the fog, right. through the fog. And there's this horse, and Marshall's basically sitting on a pile of tires, bawling, right? Because he had just, you know, found out that everything he knew was fake and people were signing up to battle. And he wanted to fight everybody, right? So he's sitting on this pile of tires.
1: Not well, angry in this scene,
0: though. The horse, sad. Horse comes up and he has some sort of metaphysical moment with this horse and the horse comes up to him and he grabs the horse's bridle or whatever they're called. And he sort of pets the horse's nose and it stops him from crying and calms him down. That's your fault. Wow. I don't
1: know if that's quite how I wrote the scene, but it's not my fault. (laughs) Have you ever seen this movie? Have you ever seen this movie fish tank?
0: No, I don't think so. It's a
1: great movie. Okay. I'm going to write this
0: down. Fish tank. What year?
1: No, you have to watch Fish no, Tank. No, what there's year there's did it come out? It. There's a fucking horse in it that does the same thing. What
0: fucking year it did it come out? Huh? What year did it come out? I don't know.
1: Six years ago. Oh, it's recent. Okay. Fish Tank. Okay. Andrea Arnold. It's a great movie. It's a non. It's it's it is there's it's a you'll love it. It's 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 an English movie. It's amazing. And the, and the lead actress is a first time actor, and she's in, she's incredible. The movie's amazing, and there's a horse in it. And it does the similar thing and it works and it's unbelievable. And so obviously it didn't work in this movie.
0: When I, when I tell people that there was a horse in eight mile, they just look at me like I have three heads. Right. And when, when, when Dre saw the movie, right. With the horse. When he saw the cut of the movie, the original cut, and there was a fucking horse in it. He left the movie and Jimmy said, well, Dre, what do you think? And Dre said, "Man, that shit was cool, but that fucking horse gotta go." <laughs> I had already felt that way because I I thought that it was just like it it didn't belong. It was gratuitous to me, like the sex scene at the beginning was to right. Curtis. It was right a little bit of an artistic jerk off to me. Right. Right. Well, b- wow. And, well, and then, without then, knowing the backstory, because you're coming right. from a place where this actually happened right these horses well, were It doesn't mean it's in, in, going to
1: work in a movie but it did happen but
0: but at least you there, had a reason for it there's something interesting
1: in a movie where th- when it, when it is something unexpected in a place that sort of is is you don't expect it that sort of adds an element to it that's not artistic but it puts you in a different resets and puts it in a different place just see how it works in fish tank which does the exact same thing it represents an escape from her place and it's weirdly again i didn't i didn't see the scene in in eight miles, so I didn't know it was in a junkyard, but this is a horse in a junkyard, and it's kind of, it's unbelievable, and it's really moving when she has this moment with the horse, anyway.
0: I'm gonna send, the- you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna send you a picture of Marshall with the horse.
1: Are you really? Great, I'll have that, that's something.
0: Cause we have it. Right. We have it. Right.
1: That's great. You that, need to put out a cut with the horse.
0: The, you know what, so okay, let's, let's, let's move on to that now. The final cut of the movie was what it was, and around the ten year anniversary, we had approached Curtis, who was still still with us at the time. By that I mean he was still alive, and asked if we could release a director's cut of the movie. Right, right. And we sort of want at that point we wanted the horse right. We wanted people to see it. We wanted people to have. There were a few other things in there also, but we wanted you know people for give them a chance to see it. And his reply was, that was the director's cut of the movie.
1: Right. That's there it. There is
0: no other cut. Right. And we're like, but there was, and it just kept coming back to us. It said, no, Curtis said there's no other cut of the movie. Right. That's, it. that's it. So, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you're ever going to be able to see the horse.
1: That's but it's not going to happen.
0: Scott's going to get a picture. DVD
1: extras, that's something.
0: That's what we well, wanted. We wanted, you know, to continue it. So that, that Before
1: we go, I know we talked about this before, but... Go ahead. So... You know, so there's never going to be a sequel? All right. Well, the, first of all, of course, the big... M's never acted again, and so that's sort of, you know, because he was so good in the movie.
0: He has never acted I know in, a, in a main role. Right. He's done he's done some bit parts right. know, I know, I know. I know, I mean, yeah. right. I so it, it, that's for a few reasons, and, you know, I don't want to speak for him, and, and he, I think he's all articulated right. them publicly, the reason that he yeah. hasn't done another movie. So we'll save that for another time. But... As far as a sequel to Eight Mile goes, right? And and you and I had an email exchange about this a couple years ago or maybe last year. This is where I I see it, right? And this is what I said to you. The time leading up to where Eminem became famous, where Marshall became famous, people didn't really know that story because they hadn't lived it, right? Once he became famous, the public lived that with him. We've all been there for it. We're still living it, right? So why do we need to make a movie of that? We we, we've seen it. We didn't see the other stuff, so that's why I thought it was more interesting. And I think you had a rebuttal to that, which is.
1: Well, it's a character in a movie. Did what happened to M didn't have to ha- happen to 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 Robin. So right. you know, you could make a movie with a different story. You know, you you know. There was a sequel many years before, but you're right. Sort of where he is now and how old he is now, and sort of what that would be. But I don't. I'm just kind of joking. I don't think there has to be a sequel. I think it's fine. Sort of where it yeah. is and where we left. It's I mean, always been the joke. Go-
0: when are you guys going to make Nine Mile? I mean, <laughs> Nine Mile is just a mile away from Eight Mile. Anybody who's from Detroit but wouldn't wouldn't think that was funny, but people who aren't from there think it is. So I I think that. You know that had been our stance on it for such a long time. In many ways, and and I want to see. Did you see the movie that we that we helped produce and Marshall made music for Southpaw? No. Okay. So so Not Southpaw. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, Southpaw. Yeah, yeah. The boxing movie. Jake Gyllenhaal.
0: Yeah, and, and Antoine Fuqua. Antoine. Right. Yeah. An, an incredible right. and M director. And
1: was going to be was going to be in that. It was right? written was for him. Cast, it right? was
0: written for him. And by who wrote the script again? The the script was written by Sutter.
1: Kurt Sutter, right? Yeah,
0: Sutter from from Sons of Anarchy. So, yeah, Kurt Sutter. Who, who's a, a brilliant writer? So that that script, in many ways, is a sequel to Eight Mile, in 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 the sense that it starts off with a boxer who's the champ, right? He's at he's at the top, and what we watch, and this is more so in Kurt's version of the script than what ended up on the screen, but You see him collapse, and he collapses because he loses a loved one. In this case, it was his wife. He gets very addicted to drugs. He starts not believing in himself. He loses connection with his family, falls into a deep hole, and has to work himself out of it, right? That's what happened to Marshall in real life. Right. So in a lot of ways, that was the sequel. Granted, different character, different time, different place, but thematically- The story right. arc, you know, it, it is 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 the sequel, right? And, and was all right. Well, there you um, go.
1: That's the sequel to Eight Mile Southpaw.
0: Yeah, it, in a sense, but you know, obviously, Marshall wasn't in it, and that's gonna, you know, all all of his fans are gonna feel like um, they got ripped off because he didn't do it, <laughs> right? So, right. The, the answer to your question, I never say <laughs> never, right? <laughs> Never say never. Maybe there's a sequel one day. Hopefully, if we do decide to do it, it'll be bef- while we can all still, you know, walk on our own volition. And that that is what it is. So, what do you have to say about yourself? Because I, the the one thing I didn't ask you is you haven't done a lot of films.
1: Right? Well, what do you mean? I what? mean, I, not a, not all of them get made, but I've been writing. I mean, the, I'm you know, Eight Mile changed my life. I had gone from not being able to get a job and I haven't stopped working since. Incredible. So that's, so for that, that will always be, that's the movie that's made my career. And again, you sort of, you know, you talk about the embarrassment, the humiliation of sort of Mod Squad, but if I hadn't gone through that, I never would have gotten eight mile and it wouldn't have been about that. It would have been something different. So that experience, even though it seemed and it was horrible going through it, sort of where that ended up, it sort of gave me a career yeah and so i really you know i really haven't stopped working i think and i think so i think that's forever grateful in that movie you know the other part of of you know uh, what my what my shrink what what phil Stutz says is like you know you never know if anything is good or not unless it stands the test of time you know and you know surprisingly like everybody thinks they got nominated for an academy award for eight mile but eight mile got no nominations other than no the song's nomination for best song you know i don't even like you know Part of that, I don't read reviews. I never look at them. So I have no, you know, but I don't think it was universally loved at the time. I know it did well at the box office, but I try to sort of, to me, that's a kind of validation. I also try not to look at, but you look at movies that stand the test of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're 20 years later. It's, you know, that movie is, it's not perfect. And there's shit that I'd want to change. And I'm sure there's shit that you'd want to change or M's want to change, but that movie has stood the test of time. You know, and to me, that's that's also something that sort of I'm proud of. Yeah. You know that, that that definitely that the movies that you know kind of still standing, and so that to me is sort of you know what what I think about you know with that movie.
0: Yeah, then, I I don't I I much like you don't watch the movie on a regular basis. I hadn't seen it front to back in probably ten years until recently. I decided to show it to my kids. Wow. Yeah. So you know, seeing it through their eyes. In 2022, a film that we made 20 years ago was, you know, like watching it for the first time in some ways, right? Because and I'm thinking, it still, like... Does it, still
1: hold, does it still hold up? Absolutely. T- to me, the other moment that was incredible was, what, two years ago, I was lucky to get nominated along with Todd, you know, on on Joker. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the audience, and it's, you know, it's a horribly uncomfortable situation.
0: And they're um, like, there's the loser from Mod Squad. Uh,
1: Except there's this <laughs> from Oswald. There's the fat guy in a tux. I always feel like a wrestling coach in a tux. It's like, like t- I don't know. Like- I can't wear I can't wear a suit. It's like it's always like it's my bar mitzvah suit. It always doesn't fit. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a suit for a husky guy. It's incredibly humid. I'm uncomfortable sitting there. And all of a sudden, you know, they come up and then I'm all so it comes up and says, "Oh, we're going to have a tribute to music and movies." And I'm sitting there going, "Huh, cool." And I'm going, "I wonder if Eight Miles going to be in it because oh. that would be." amazing and so i'm watching it and then they have hustle and flow and i'm like oh fuck it we're not going to be in it's like oh well i don't you know it's a bummer but i'm you know and then all of a sudden at the very end there it is you know there's the music and there's a shot of him coming you know you know you, you gotta remember how beautiful our movie was you know rodrigo was amazing incredible DP, TV, yeah. i haven't mentioned him i mean yeah. believable. absolutely and 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 he's coming down the hallway, and then he's in the car, and he goes up here and down here, and then they keep playing it. And I'm like, dun, shit, dun, dun, why, why is there dun, so much dun, fucking dun, eight mile in it? Dun, dun,
0: dun, and dun, then dun.
1: when M comes up, I was like, this is fucking, it was unbelievable. Did
0: you feel like it, it was it, meant to be?
1: I felt like he was, do, like was doing it for me.
0: Right, that's um, what I mean. Like, the, uh, how full circle could, could that have been for you?
1: I know, it was amazing. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It was unbelievable to be there for. Joker and then, but ultimately to have, you know, him, to have M sort of perform that song with, you know, with music and movies, it was, it was unbelievable, it was, it was, that was, you know, that was incredible.
0: Yeah, it's a huge moment, man. Yeah, Huge, I mean, and we did not plan that by the way. We weren't like, oh, Scott Silver's gonna be there, and he's up for an Academy <laughs> Award for Joker. Didn't so, call we got I
1: was like, what the fuck? We, I was gonna call you, and we go, gotta make sure why, we're didn't tell, why didn't you even tell me? Like, well, we didn't know, tell anybody,
0: complete... we had to keep it a secret. It was it part was of the deal, you know? Yeah, that was part of the deal. A lot of people were caught off guard by that. Um, but, you know, they asked us to do it, and we felt like it was a moment to be able to redeem the fact that he didn't perform when know, he was right. up for the Oscar because right. we were dumb kids, and, we, you know, right. we were like, we're never going to win, and we had just performed Lose Yourself at the Grammys. So right. why are we going to do it again in three weeks for something with a bunch of old people who, you know, are in the film industry? Like, yeah. we're not we're not going to do it anyway. It was amazing. He won. Huh? He won. He
1: Marshall won. won the Oscar, Yeah.
0: Oh, if, if, if nobody told you, he won. <laughs> he, won. he ends up, Marshall <laughs> he won an go. Oscar. He should have got right. Yeah, as it be. turns out. All right. Exactly. So right. listen, I, I an think,
1: and I, and I didn't throw up, so it's a win.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that the, the biggest, the biggest takeaway for me, for me from this, is everybody has to have their own mod squad. Right. <laughs> We've got to have our own moment uh, where right. we choke and we soul search and we find out who we really are, what we're made of, and we come back and kick ass.
1: The crazy part, even saying Mod Squad's triggering for me, but yes, you you can take these painful experiences and do something with them and make a change and try to figure out what you need to do, or you can you know ignore them or just hide it or not deal with it. Yeah. So yeah, you know, when you think something's your worst experience, something great can come from it. You right. know? And that certainly has been the story of this for me. And then, like I said, to be able to put that in the movie, you know the movie would have been something different if i didn't have yeah. if i didn't have that experience
0: i mean it makes it double double satisfying if not if not more and then yeah. we all need our own stuts
1: yes <laughs> got to find a stuts he's pretty singular you got to find a stuts that's for sure he's amazing yeah
0: all right gotta, so i've got homework to do i'm going to watch stuts and you gotta, fish tank you got
1: to watch stuts and, and you got to watch fish tank and then yeah. once you watch fish tank tell me if you think the horse works or not i want to redeem the horse
0: okay in, I'm going to have an open mind, but at the time, I was really not down with the horse. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Silver on Paul Pod for Curtain Call 2. Thank you so much for coming through. Hopefully, it wasn't as painful as you thought it was going to be. Not at all. No, not at all. All right, man. See you soon.